Welcome to Outdoor by 4 Magazine's audio edition of issue 36. For those unfamiliar with Outdoor by 4, the magazine began its journey as a fully independent, vehicle-based, adventure and outdoors lifestyle publication in 2013. Since that time, Outdoor by 4 has been the catalyst for expanding the reach of overland and vehicle-based adventure travel into the outdoors market, with a focus not only on the mode of travel, whether a 4x4, motorcycle, bicycle, or by foot, but also on the adventures themselves and the people who live them. In this issue, you'll hear a sampling of stories from the print edition, including The Dispatch by Outdoor by Four's editor-in-chief. Over the Mountains and Through the Woods, a retracing of the Moki Overland Stagecoach Route, Sonoran Adventure, exploring off the beaten path in southern Arizona. Colonial Mexico, a two-wheeled voyage chronicling Mexico's beauty. And a comprehensive review of Ford's Super Duty as a platform for overland adventure. There are also a variety of additional stories in this issue you can read by picking up a copy anywhere books are sold, or by subscribing or picking up a copy from the Outdoor Before website by visiting www.outdoorx4.com. We hope you enjoyed this issue of Outdoor by Four magazine. Are you looking for the perfect fitting, fully customizable pop-up truck camper for your next adventure? Then look no further than the selection from four-wheel campers. From classic slide-in, bed top, and flatbed configuration designs, four-wheel campers has the setup you need. With extensive available custom options and precision built in Woodland, California, four-wheel campers has been providing quality equipment for the outdoor community since 1972. For more information on the pop-up camper you've been looking for, then pop on over to fourwheelcampers.com. That's F-O-U-R wheelcampers.com. Over the Mountains and Through the Woods, Retracing the Moki Overland Stagecoach Route by Frank Ludwell. The year was 1892. A group of passengers ranging in age and social stature climbed aboard a horse-drawn stagecoach with the goal of reaching the southern rim of the Grand Canyon. It was an age that seemed simple in retrospect, but travel was fraught with challenges, many of which the imminent arrival of the next century would address in the form of motorized vehicles. But for this very group of travelers, the fresh air among dense pine trees was the backdrop of a journey along deep, rutted dirt roads littered with rocks and boulders that would take nearly a full day to traverse at a turtle's pace of five miles per hour. It was a journey bookended by adventure. It was a journey along the Moki Overland Stagecoach Route. The Moki Overland Stagecoach Route, its name derived from the original self-designation of the Hopi Indians, originated in the late 19th century and was the area's mass transit route popular for travel from Flagstaff to the Grandview Hotel at the Grand Canyon. An 1890s writer noted, quote, the road is good and level with some heavy grades. It winds among the slopes of the San Francisco mountains for the first 25 miles through a fine forest of pine. The next 25 miles lead across a rolling prairie and the rest through the forest which skirts the Grand Canyon, end quote. This is the section a group of modern riders, including myself, would explore in a variety of coaches powered by horses in the form of gas-powered engines. While not particularly technical, the MOSR is just as enjoyable to explore now as it was nearly 130 years ago. The terrain is varied, 
with open prairies eventually leading through dense pine and aspen forests in sections that can require high-clearance vehicles, if only because of deep ruts that form during the rainy season. Our journey began in the town of Williams, Arizona, on a late spring morning with temperatures hovering in the mid-30s. The fleet of Nissan vehicles included a variety of overland-ready Titans, a Destination Frontier truck, the Armada Patrol, and an appropriately built NV3500 4x4 SL van with enough cargo space to carry a basketball team. The trucks snaked their way along State Route 64 before entering the Kaibab National Forest on Forest Road 320. For reference, this was a truncated jaunt into the Kaibab, and the MOSR can be retraced farther southeast for a more off-the-beaten-path experience without the shortcut we took on paved roads. You can also access the Kaibab from Forest Road 305 and eventually connect with FR320. Once on FR320, the transition from open space to dense forest began. Gray clouds draped the San Francisco peaks, looming over the valley in the distance and, as the trucks meandered along the trail, I envisioned explorers from another era traveling through the Kaibab and experiencing a natural beauty only exceeded by reaching the end goal of the Grand Canyon. We meandered through a maze of forest roads, eventually arriving at the Moki Stage Station, one of the original trail's three rest stops and horse change stations. Today, the only remnants are a sign indicating its location and a path leading to an empty water tank dug into the earth and fortified with rock from the surrounding pathway. A staging area near the water tank was likely used to load and unload passengers, change horses, and direct exiting stagecoaches back to the MOSR during its heyday. Back on the trail, the terrain offered a variety of obstacles in the form of large boulders and rock. While our modern stagecoaches handled the terrain with ease, I can only imagine riding atop a wooden stagecoach with six horses sludging their way along the path, and the very real prospect of breakdowns and other challenges. For the next several hours, the maze of trails and the dense kaibab leads to the Grand View Lookout Tower. Built in 1936 by the Civilian Conservation Corps, this steel tower provides a strategic platform for detecting fires. Standing at a height of 80 feet with nothing more than a handrail leading along the staircase to the top, the Grandview Lookout Tower provides stunning aerial views of not only the forest, but also the south rim of the Grand Canyon, whose presence is unfathomable when compared to the surrounding flat terrain. Winds howl through the open section atop of the tower, giving pause to the faint of heart with fear of heights when looking straight down and holding on for dear life, even if the chance of falling is slim. Still, it's a worthwhile spot to visit, flanked by a section of the Arizona Trail, a non-motorized 800-mile path that curves its way north from the Mexico border all the way to Utah. After a brief rest, our group again mounted our trusty steeds and finished the remaining section of the MOSR arriving within the boundaries of Grand Canyon National Park along the South Rim. Our journey had taken about four to five hours and, while we only retraced about a third of the total length of the Moki Overland Stagecoach route, the experience left quite an impression. It highlighted not only the historical significance the route played in connecting neighboring Flagstaff to the immensity of North America's Grandest Canyon, but also how our mode of travel has evolved, for both necessity and comfort, in the past century. It was also a reminder that sometimes the most pleasurable of vehicle-based adventures aren't necessarily about the challenges of the terrain, but also the history and beauty of the terrain itself. Planning your Moki Overland Stagecoach Route and Kaibab National Forest Adventure. The original Moki Overland Stagecoach Route, MOSR, 
connected the city of Flagstaff to the Grand Canyon, and one of the best resources on the route in its history is a book entitled Grand Canyon Flagstaff Stagecoach Line, a history and exploration guide, Arizona and the Southwest, by Richard and Sherry Mangum. The book provides an exceptional background on the region with maps, pictures, and directions for accessing the trailhead. I will note that GPS, while valuable for planning and following the route, can sometimes result in leading you to dead ends, so be prepared to retrace your steps as part of the adventure in completing the trail. Also note that four-wheel drive is not necessary along any section of the MOSR. That said, a high-clearance vehicle is recommended along sections with boulders and ruts. Be sure to check with the U.S. Forest Service for seasonal closures or pertinent information, particularly when approaching the Kaibab National Forest. Regarding the Kaibab National Forest, it is a true gem for exploration and, as public land, there are ample camp spots found throughout its expansive 1.6 million acres. Hiking, biking, motorcycling, and vehicle-based travel abound. Additionally, the renowned Arizona Trail meanders its way through the Kaibab National Forest and is a challenging 800-mile path stretching from Mexico to Utah, linking desert, mountains, canyons, and forests. Please note the Arizona Trail is for non-motorized travel and is done either by foot via backpacking or on two wheels via bikepacking. You can learn more about bikepacking and past issues of Outdoor by Four and discover more about the Arizona Trail, the Kaibab National Forest, and the Moki Overland Stagecoach Route by visiting www.arizonahighways.com, www.fs.usda.gov, and www.aztrail.org. Sonoran Adventure, off the beaten path in Arizona. Words and photos by Brett Edge. Saguaro, my wife Melissa spotted it first. A single giant saguaro cactus surveying the highway from a scrubby hillside to the west. Every winter, my family travels from our home in Moab south to the Sonoran Desert for warmer weather, sunshine, and as much time mountain biking and hiking as we can cram into two weeks. It has become a tradition to be the first to spot one of these spiny soldiers, and I usually win, but not this time. We'd spent the prior evening camped at a semi-secluded site in Awafria National Monument. The 72,000-acre monument was established in 2000, to protect more than 450 Native American ruins and an abundance of well-preserved rock art. We weren't there for that though. It was just a quick stop on our way to White Tank Mountain Regional Park to ride a short loop on trails we'd never experienced. Maricopa County maintains six truly exceptional regional parks. Outstanding scenery, great trail systems, fantastic campgrounds and friendly service are the hallmarks of each park. At the White Tanks, we pedaled the Sonoran Loop comp track, adding in the technical trail for good measure. Most of the riding was mellow, but a steep climb to a saddle followed by a rowdy descent with a bit of exposure was a great way to warm up our legs after a few weeks of slothfulness. The forecast called for a couple days of sunny, warm weather, followed by four days of chilly temperatures, non-stop rain and wind. We knew what we had to do, and that meant making the most of our first three days in Phoenix. We left the White Tanks and found a quiet campsite in the Superstition Mountains, or as the locals affectionately call them, the Soups. Legend has it that an old German named Jacob Waltz 
stumbled across a gold mine originally opened by a Mexican family, later killed by Apache Indians. Waltz, who became known as the Dutchman, hid several caches of gold in these unforgiving desert mountains. His health failing, he moved to Phoenix and died some time later, but not before revealing the location of his hidden fortune to a neighbor who had helped to care for him. Over the next 120 plus years, dozens of people have searched for the lost Dutchman's gold, but none have been lucky enough to find it. Rumor has it, some of the gold diggers have even suffered gruesome deaths in the quest to find Waltz's gold. I first put knobby tires in dirt while living in Phoenix around 1990. Back then, we rode bikes made of steel and lacking suspension, traversing rocky trails that many years later became designated as black diamonds. Woefully inadequate rim brakes barely kept our speed in check, and yet most of us survived relatively unscathed. An old network of trails, then known as Pima and Dynamite, after the intersection at which they originated, offered some of the few smooth trails in the area. Primarily decomposing granite, the trails rolled fast and loose. The city of Scottsdale now owns that land, as well as adjacent parcels on which they have established the McDowell Sonoran Preserve. The preserve offers dozens of miles of trails that range from easy to challenging, and all are open to hiking, biking, and horses. Several trailheads in various locations provide access to a rich variety of trails. On our second day in the area, we completed a fun 17-mile loop from the Browns Ranch trailhead that gave us a great taste of what the preserve offers. Easy climbs, fast and flowy downhills, desert foliage, as lush as any I've seen, and even a few techie granite slabs, squeezes, and drops all kept the riding interesting, as did my empty camelback that I forgot to fill before we left the parking lot. The following day, we snuck in a quick hike into Hieroglyphic Canyon before the multi-day storm arrived. It's an easy three-mile round-trip hike to a series of seasonal pools surrounded by rock art left behind by the Hohokam Indians, mislabeled hieroglyphs by early European settlers, the name stuck. Despite the misnomer, it's an enchanting place to visit. Light rain started to fall on the hike out, and the clouds didn't part for several days, leaving us with a wicked case of cabin fever, as we were living out of a tiny four-wheel camper Raven on the back of a Ford F-150. The Raven houses nearly all the amenities of home, a king-size slide-out bed, running water, a stove, fridge, a small rollover sofa, and, much to our glee, a heater. But it's really small, and claustrophobia quickly set in. The uncooperative weather prevented us from doing anything outdoors, so we visited museums, did some shopping, and enjoyed the Phoenix area's diverse dining options. Ice cream sundaes at the Sugar Bowl, an institution in Old Town Scottsdale, were just the cure for our weather-induced blues. With the storms behind us, we spent a couple nights camped at Lost Dutchman State Park and McDowell Mountain Regional Park, where the mountain bike trails are accessible directly from the campground. A big lap on the Pemberton Trail allowed us to shake off the cobwebs and get our legs ready for the next week of riding and hiking. Halfway through the ride, Melissa noticed that her front wheel was wobbling from side to side like a college student on Friday night. One bike shop visit later, and we received the verdict. The rim was toast, and she needed a new one. We quickly realized how spoiled we are to have such incredible bike shops at home in Moab. All the shops we contacted in Phoenix would have to order a rim, but at home, 
we'd have had several options from which to choose. She was due for a new bike anyway, and I've been known to be impulsive, so she ended up with a lightly used evil calling purchased from a great new boutique bike shop in the East Valley called Spartan Rides. We had extra space on our rack, so why not? They delivered the bike to us at a movie theater parking lot, and we were back in business. After a long and late ride in North Scottsdale, we didn't have the energy to drive an hour back to a campsite in the Superstitions. Unsure if there was anything closer, we decided to roll the dice and look for a spot near Seven Springs in the carefree area. About 45 minutes later, we backed into a rare, perfectly flat spot in the dark, unsure and uncaring about the quality of the scenery around us. The following morning, we discovered that the dirt road we'd driven the night before passed by what appeared to be an old homeless camp, and the site upon which we'd made camp was clearly used as an impromptu shooting range. Nonetheless, we had slept easy and were ready for another day of adventure. We finished the trip with rides at South Mountain, on the always entertaining and appropriately named Desert Classic, and back at the McDowell's on the competitive tracks. I first rode the technical loop about 20 years ago on a carbon fiber giant hardtail with bright yellow rock shocks forks. I remember rolling up to the first drop, looking down into the abyss and being somewhat terrified of the consequences of failure. Oh, what a difference a couple decades and an eternity of mountain bike evolution have made. Now it's just another fun ledge to huck, the landing soaked up by 160 millimeters of progressive front and rear suspension. Every year it gets harder to leave the Sonoran Desert. The mood on the drive home is always sullen. Cruising north on I-17, thick forests of saguaros begin to thin until the last one gives way to desert highlands of low scrub brush and tall golden grasses. On our final night in Arizona, we used the iOverlander iPhone app to find a campsite and a Marscape to the east of Sedona. The red dirt was spongy underfoot, and an old wildfire had left the area devoid of plants but for a few prickly pear cacti and an abundance of leafless bushes with long, sharp thorns. The landscape mirrored our collective mood. Nobody spoke as we put the camper top down and packed up camp one last time, a routine to which we'd become accustomed over the previous two weeks. We headed north, through Flagstaff, into the badlands of the Navajo Nation, and finally, through dense fog into Moab. Next time, I'll spot that first saguaro. Colonial Mexico, Words and Photos by Donnell Lynn. The real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. Marcel Proust. Sometimes the voyage of discovery involves both new landscapes and new eyes, and the end of one voyage often opens a door to the beginning of another. When an electric motorcycle expedition I had joined pushed the pause button for an undetermined amount of time, I flew home to Arizona. A week later, I was invited to California to attend an evening of fun sponsored by Altrider for some of the motorcyclists heading to Babe's Ride Out. There, I began to make new friends and see old ones, and got the invite to join a colonial cities tour through Mexico with four other riders. Sounds great, I said. When do we depart? 
Well, the answer came in less than a week. Challenge accepted. My Triumph Bonneville would be the only 790cc bike in a group of BMW R1200 GSAs. The organizer promised the route would be over 95% paved. We will not be doing a lot of off-road, he said. The only rider I knew in the group had to cancel at the last minute, making me question whether to go. But I'm glad I went. And the ride leader, Pat from Ireland, is now a friend. This grand 15-day tour took us across 3,600 miles of Mexico's beauty, and the timing was ideal. Being there in late October and early November meant we were present for La Dia de los Muertos. Amelia, my Bonneville, which had recently come off a year on the road touring North America, was ready for an international crossing. But I had retired my windshield after my last adventure, and it was hanging in the garage as an art piece, covered in stickers from all 50 states and Canada. So I needed a new windshield and had very limited time to get one. Taking advantage of the ease of online ordering, I grabbed a cheap shield that would arrive two days before departure. Less than an hour after crossing the U.S.-Mexico border, I could barely see through the clouds of dust as we ventured down the main highway. It had been stripped of tarmac and was a gully of dirt and rocks for 100 miles. It was the perfect start, allowing us to laugh, bond, and prepare for the variety of roads we would experience on our Mexico adventure. But it was apparent my last-minute windshield would not endure 15 days. That first rough road of dirt, rocks, and potholes required me to open my kit of zip ties and gorilla tape and provoked great laughter when my wing nuts let go at speed and I was riding with one hand holding the half-attached shield. Oh, the joys of bumps in journeys. Colonial cities, established as part of New Spain between the 16th and 19th century, though old and historic, are very much alive with bustling markets, cathedrals, museums, and more. Our itinerary offered unique locales and vast, captivating landscapes. We rode from Paras de la Fuenta to Galiena on winding mountain roads with high cliffs and streams. As we departed Galiena for Real de Catorce, we turned onto a cobblestone road and I felt my heart skip. Pat had warned us of danger if it rained as the cobblestones became very slippery. But the skies were clear, and with only a mild slickness from the fog, we enjoyed a stunning ride on the cobblestone. After 17 thrilling and bumpy miles, we reached the Ogario Tunnel, a mile and a half long and only one lane. You line up and wait your turn. Until you make it through the tunnel, you cannot spot the city ahead. But beyond the dimly lit tunnel, you pop out on the other side into the beauty and history of Real de Catorce, a once booming mining town. Steep and cobbled village roads required multiple attempts to climb off the main street on the motorcycles. A wrong turn took us up a very steep road with an abundance of slippage before we realized our hotel was back on the main road. Perhaps the steeper cobble was best left for the walking part of the adventure. Real de Catorce begs to be explored on foot, to meet the locals, venture through the markets, and take in the fresh mountain air. Our hotel, the Maison de la Abundancia, was built in 1863 as the original home of the town's treasuries, and its thick walls reflect that purpose. Upfront motorcycle parking made it ideal. The city of Guanajuato is a popular location for expats, 
as well as an excellent area to visit. Filled with narrow cobblestone alleyways, callejones, and meandering roads, one can easily get lost, and a taxi can be a lifesaver. When we first entered the city, the sun was disappearing, and after circling and passing the same sign more than once, our fearless leader, Pat, stopped a taxi and paid him to drive to our hotel as we followed. It was a great introduction to navigating the city. The appeal of Guanajuato varies for each visitor. There is much to see, from Baroque churches with multi-tiered chandeliers, silver embroidery, and a myriad of gold leaf. It is the birthplace of Diego Rivera, who is married to another of my favorite artists, Frida Kahlo. The Museo y Casa de Diego Rivera displays a variety of his art, from self-portraits to his famed mural works. A fellow writer, enjoying my tales of adventure through the city, joined me on my exploration. We took on the Teatro Juarez. There were no performances when we were there, but the stunning venue is worth a look, with its heavy red velvet coverings, gilding galore, and patterns as far as the eye could see. As a group, we rode the funicular panoramico overlooking the city. It is one of the best ways to see the expansive spread of Guanajuato and provides a famous view of the town with its central cathedral. For a perpetual solo traveler, time and space for independent exploration are essential. It is about finding your rhythm both with and without the group. For some, riding hard all day and making it to a great dinner with wine is all they need. For me, I need to explore, to take to the streets in the evenings, and absorb the surroundings. On this tour, I enjoyed some hidden gems solo, but others I knew the group should not miss. So I would return to the hotel and tell the others what was going on right around the corner. One example is the international art show occurring when we were in Zacatecas. It was a stunning interactive exhibit happening in the streets and projected onto the city's historic buildings. I had never seen another show of its level, with groups from all over the world taking part in the expression of life through art. In Zacatecas, the sights varied as much as the food, from the historical museum of torture, La Casa del Inquisidor, to an empty Baroque church filled with modern local art. I had the entire exhibition to myself and it made me feel both small and larger than life, as if I were walking through the pages of the fantasy novel, The Abarat. Although some mornings we hit the road right after awakening, others were more leisurely, allowing us to enjoy a traditional Mexican breakfast of chilaquiles, a casserole of green chili sauce, tortilla strips, and sour cream. And unless you're a vegetarian like me, pork or chicken. I try to find unique food as I travel, and I had one of my favorite soups in Mazatlan. It was a delicious cream of poblano pepper soup, enjoyed in the plaza surrounded by hustle and bustle and overlooked by a stunning cathedral. Was it the ambiance, the spices, or both? I'm not sure, but if you get the chance, be sure to order a large bowl and a cerveza to wash it down. There is no shortage of culture and history in Mexico from sites like the sculpture garden of Edward James Las Posas, which makes you feel as if you've walked into Rivendell from Lord of the Rings, to historic missions and churches, the deeper into Mexico you go, the more you experience its variety of history, geography, 
landscape, and food. It's not just the taking of the two-wheel journey, but also swinging your legs off the bike in exploration that allow new eyes to be born. Since 1948, the name Warren has been synonymous with adventure, specializing in winches, hubs, and bumpers to meet truck, SUV, power sport, utility, and industrial demands. Warren is the leader in reliable recovery equipment and accessories. From the entry-level VR Evo line to heavy-duty and specialized application winches, Warren has the gear to get you out of any situation, every time. Preparation is a necessity. Warn. Go prepared. Super Duty Ford. Dilemma or Solution. Words and Photos by Jonathan Hansen. Question. Can an environmentalist, that is, someone concerned with the fate of our planet and its inhabitants, human and non-human, who trusts the findings of thousands of climate scientists and who strives to live a responsible and low-impact life, possibly endorse a one-ton four-wheel drive truck powered by a 475-horsepower turbo diesel V8. I thought about this as I drove west on I-10 from Phoenix, piloting a 2020 Ford F-350 Super Crew Platinum 4x4. Tim Storr, a Ford product line manager, rode in the passenger seat. Another journalist, Kevin Jones, sat in the spacious back seat. From the moment I'd started the truck and pulled out of the Wigwam Resort, to accelerating up the ramp onto the freeway and cruising at 75 miles per hour, there had been no audible sign I was in a diesel truck. None. The sole giveaway was the monstrous thrust forward when I flattened the pedal. The 10-speed torque shift transmission, brand new and beefed up to handle the, ready, 1,050 foot-pounds of torque produced by the 6.7-liter Power Stroke V8 produced shifts imperceptible enough to embarrass a Bentley. I had adjusted the heated steering wheel both up and down and in and out to my preference along with the adjustable pedals. My 10-way adjustable leather-clad seat boasted both heating and cooling functions and after we'd been on the highway for 20 miles or so, Tim asked, how about a massage? I laughed, but then he reached over to the touchscreen and tapped a couple of times and immediately up my back and under my butt and thighs, I felt as if someone were running a rolling pin back and forth along my muscles. The seat incorporates multiple airbags that provide lumbar support, but can also be sequenced to produce a definite shiatsu effect that I had to admit might be welcome after five or six hours on the road. By this point, a few of you might have agreed with me if I thought, who needs polar bears anyway? But we'll come back to that. Tim pointed out the unsurprising fact that the massage function was a part of a premium package. I'm not sure what he thought of my suggestion that they could include it on the base model, but have it operate with quarters. After 40 miles on I-10, we headed north on a two-lane road that turned to winding dirt. For an unladen one-ton truck, this one rode well, with surprisingly little sidestepping on washboard. The structure felt as solid as a 7,000-pound pickup on a fully boxed chassis ought to feel. Actually, despite its long list of features and a crew cab, this truck weighs less than my 2004 F-350 Super Cab thanks to an aluminum-intensive cab and bed structure. We pulled into the parking lot of this dude's food and brew in the one-horse town of Congress, Arizona, 
where several thousand horses awaited us in the form of various super-duty trucks hooked to an escalating tonnage of trailers, from a 7,500-pound Black Series all-terrain model up to a gooseneck monster supporting a Kubota backhoe and a tracked digger. This to showcase the top super-duty towing capacity of, ready again, 37,000 pounds. I believe my first house weighed less. In fact, only those possessing a commercial driver's license were legally allowed to try out the F-450 dually hooked up to this thing. I contented myself riding along while Kevin drove an F-250, pulling the more Overland-relevant Black Series camper up the 7% grade on Highway 89 past the memorial to the 19 Granite Mountain hotshot firefighters who died in the Yarnell Hill fire in 2013. The trailer might as well have fallen off for all the drag it imposed on the new 7.3 liter gas engine in this truck. The towing demonstrations were impressive, but I was more interested in backcountry capability, so I was glad when we climbed back in the Super Crew and headed 45 miles southwest on a dirt road that ended at a massive quarry where Ford had constructed a driving course. And a good one it was, too. In 10 years of running the Overland Expo, we developed some excellent driving courses, but by necessity, ours had to be negotiable by a wide variety of vehicles. Here, the engineers were able to tailor it very specifically to impress. Among other challenges, they had incorporated a rock garden, a 29-degree climb and matching descent, some elephant footsteps, a water channel designed to show off the trimmer package's commendable 33-inch fording depth, except it had drained down to a foot and a half or so by my turn, and a rather awesome diagonal ditch crossing that Matt Fliss, the engineer who accompanied me, said several journalists had pronounced impassable before they were shepherded across. A curving, truck-plus-a-foot-wide passage between a double row of rocker-height boulders showcased another feature, a bird's-eye view of vehicle and rocks courtesy of multiple cameras. It was a bit unnerving to try to keep one's eyes glued to the center screen rather than out the windshield, but it worked. About that trimmer package, whether or not it includes depleted uranium skid plates to prevent ingress by giant subterranean carnivorous worms, I do not know, but it does incorporate the following features. 35-inch diameter Goodyear Wrangler Duratrack tires on 18-inch alloy rims, locking rear differential, and slightly disappointingly, Dana ABS actuated traction control in the front axle, trail control with a rock crawl mode and selectable speed, 10.8 inches of ground clearance, decent approach and departure angles for a big pickup of 31 and 24 degrees, suspension modifications, lifted front end, progressive rate springs, twin tube shocks with a 1.7 inch piston, a 53 to one crawl ratio on the 7.3 liter gas engine trucks, and a 44 to 1 ratio for those equipped with a 6.7 liter turbo diesel. Unavailable 12,000 pound worn winch equipped with a synthetic line, very tidily hidden but with virtually zero visual or manual access to the drum to ensure correct spooling. A pet peeve of mine, yet more and more common. The trimmer package is available on both the F-250, 3 quarter ton, and F-350, 1 ton trucks, Oddly, only the Super Crew and not the Super Cab 
an XLT trim level and above. But here's the important news for those contemplating one as an overlanding vehicle. The trimmer package retains the same base towing and cargo hauling capacities as the standard truck, in contrast to most trucks with off-road packages. Suppose you were planning to buy a four-wheel camper with which to do some exploration and wanted a capable truck to carry it. We've owned two of these superb aluminum framed homes away from home, both of them on Toyota Tacomas, an earlier narrow version and later a wider fleet. In each case, mounting the camper brought us bang up to the GVWR rating of the truck. We had to modify the suspension with airbags and heavy duty shocks and switch to E-rated tires. Fuel economy suffered significantly. We loved the size of the combination as it presented very few obstacles in the backcountry. Also, obviously, we loved the Toyota reliability, but the compromises were obvious and I was never happy with the chassis flex that resulted from the 2012 Tacoma's open channel rear frame sections continued on the current model or with its laughably antiquated rear drum brakes also continued on the current model. Now consider that an F-250 trimmer Super Crew, crew cab with the 6.75 foot bed has a cargo capacity of 3,450 pounds. The appropriate four-wheel camper model, the Hawk, a bit roomier than our fleet, weighs 1,100 pounds dry according to the factory. Let's assume some fudge factor there, add some options, then figure water, batteries, solar panels, etc. Give it 1,600 pounds. That's still less than half the rated capacity for the F-250, giving one plenty of leeway for a winch bumper and winch, a recovery-capable rear bumper, and other dirigier expedition-y bits. If, on the other hand, you've been seduced by one of those ultra-stylish Black Series trailers, you'll find that its 7,500 pounds is exactly half the rated towing capacity of the F-250 trimmer. Now, consider something else. For various reasons you might laugh at, given that my wife and I own five four-wheel drive vehicles, I rented a truck for the drive from Tucson to Phoenix and back, a 2019 Toyota Tacoma Crew Cab with a 3.5-liter V6, gas of course, and a six-speed automatic transmission. Over the course of 260 miles of interstate driving between 75 and 80 miles per hour, the truck returned a measured 19.6 miles per gallon. Note that this was a two-wheel drive truck. By comparison, the Ford Super Duty I drove back and forth between the resort and the driving venues, an F-350, i.e. one-ton, Super Crew 4x4, with the 6.7-liter turbo diesel and 10-speed transmission, returned 19.4 miles per gallon over mixed freeway, two-lane paved, and dirt road driving. One can rightfully point out the significant upfront premium of the diesel engine, and the pernicious higher price of diesel fuel itself in the US, nevertheless, considering solely the amount of fossil fuel burned by each vehicle, the result is eye-opening, if not shocking. Add that to the near certainty that a large, powerful truck will lose a smaller percentage of its fuel economy carrying a camper or towing a trailer than will a small, modestly powered truck. Our current Tacoma four-wheel camper combo struggles to top 15 miles per gallon and it might make you reevaluate some preconceptions. This leads us back to the question I posed at the beginning of this article. 
No one's going to give you a pass if you use your F-350 to commute 50 miles back and forth to your 7,000 square foot home every day and hop in the Gulfstream G550 for skiing weekends in Stad. But there are plenty of ways to reduce one's impact on the planet besides not traveling anywhere or only driving a Prius. How about an F-350 and a Prius, for example? Yes, my wife and I own five 4x4 vehicles, but our 1,000 square foot house gets more than 100% of its yearly electricity from the 3,600 watts of photovoltaic panels on the roof. I'm not putting us forth as environmental saints. My 46-year-old FJ40 is far from a paradigm of fuel economy or low emissions, but then I put more miles on my bicycle each year than I do the Land Cruiser. The point is that excess in one area can be conscientiously ameliorated by conservation in another. Even the offered snickered at carbon offsets can help put a thumb on the good side of the scale. There's something else, however, that is at least as important as the personal responsibility, energy conserving, carbon offset aspect of a civic-minded life. Overlanding, reduced to its essence, is about traveling through beautiful country. And the more of that traveling we do, the more we appreciate the open spaces, the myriad landforms, the clear skies, the pure streams, and the wildlife we experience. In turn, that experience imbues us with a sense of stewardship and a desire to protect what we have enjoyed so that our children's children might be able to do the same. And that, hopefully, spurs us to vote on local and national issues in ways that have far more impact than the immediate fuel efficiency of our mode of transportation. What would happen if we stopped traveling? We might retain fond memories of the places we'd seen, but our children won't. They would grow up with no knowledge or appreciation of those places. Pleas for conservation would be annoyances easily dismissed in favor of immediate, shallow, electronic pleasures. Why worry about the loss of something you'd never seen except in an old documentary? No, we need to keep exploring. And we need to show our children the exquisiteness of wild places. Therefore, yes, this environmentalist has no trouble endorsing the new Super Duty pickups. Get one, put a four-wheel camper on it, and go explore, preferably with your or someone else's kids. Then come home and do the right thing at the ballot box and buy some LED light bulbs and half a dozen solar panels. Maybe even a bicycle. And if you still find yourself feeling a bit self-conscious thinking about all this on a long drive to somewhere beautiful, just reach over and hit that massage button. Here's what's coming up in issue 37 of Outdoor by 4 magazine. East meets West, an adventure hunting excursion, Overlanding New Brunswick. Arkansas, a natural treasure, highlighting a variety of adventures you can have on two wheels, four wheels, and by foot. And The Power to Surprise, a full review of Kia's Telluride. Also, be sure to visit the Outdoor by 4 website at www.outdoorx4.com regularly for new tips, reviews, and stories. And join our e-newsletter to stay in the loop on the latest from Outdoor by 4. You can also follow Outdoor by 4 and the adventures of our staff and contributors on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, TikTok, and Facebook at, at OutdoorX4 and by using the hashtag OutdoorX4. Until our next issue, we wish each of you the happiest of adventures. <laughs>